Amen. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Joshua again this morning, the first chapter of the book of Joshua. Last Sunday morning, we began a little thought on having a Joshua heart. Last week, in order to start having a Joshua heart, the word is you've got to have courage. This morning in the book of Joshua, chapter number one, in order to have a Joshua heart, you're going to have to have obedience. In the book of Joshua this morning, verse number, chapter 1 of the book of Joshua, verse number 16, I'm going to read one verse, and I want you to leave your Bibles open, and I do want to invite you to the service tonight, uh, 6 o'clock, the choir will sing, and we've been, I say we've been in, I ain't been here for two weeks, but we've been in this thing on the valleys of life. And if you're in a valley, you need to be here tomorrow, or tonight rather. I saw Nathan's suit. I forgot what day I was in. And um, I'm going to tell you something. Nathan, you so big, I ain't going to talk about you. You'd beat the ever-loving fool out of me. But you're the only man big enough in this church to wear a suit like that. And I'm going to tell you what, you good-looking, hoss. But... Um, the valleys of life, and tonight I'm going to talk to you about the battles you're going to be facing in your valleys. But this morning I want to read to you one verse of Scripture in Joshua chapter number 1 and in verse number 16. You can remain seated this morning. In verse number 16, the Bible says, And they answered Joshua, saying, All that thou commandest us we will do, Whithersoever thou sendest us, we will go. Now Joshua has received his command from the Lord from verse number 1 down through verse number 9 of chapter number 1. In chapter number 1 in verse number 10, Joshua tells the people what they're to do. He said you're to do three things to the leaders and to go to the people. He said, number one, pass through the host. Number two, tell them to prepare themselves meat because in just a few days they're going to be doing something they've never done before. And then number three, he said, once you do that and you finally get the word from God, he said, go in and possess the land. And all of a sudden, the people of God rise up in verse number 16, and this is basically what they say. Joshua, if that's what God wants us to do, that's exactly what we're going to do. You see, in order to have a Joshua heart and to accomplish the will of God for your life, you are going to have to obey what God tells you to do. There are no ifs, ands, or buts with God. When the Lord gives you a word and gives you something that he calls you to do, you are to do it. Brothers and sisters, obedience in the mind of God is the only thing God wants from you. A lot of people think that God wants you to come to church three times a week and that'll make God happy. You know you can come to church 82 times a week and disobey God and that is not what God wants. God doesn't want you necessarily to give a million dollars. He's not looking for you and I to be in church or to wear skirts or to only wear shorts or to have flip-flops or to wear no glasses or to have special glasses. God is interested in in one thing, and that is an obedient heart to what he calls you to do. How do I know? Because in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse number 22, Samuel looks at Saul, and this is what he says. He says, obedience 
is better than sacrifice. He says in John chapter number 14, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How do you know if you love God, you do what he tells you to do? You know, people come to church and they come faithfully, but they don't love God. There are people that give money, but they don't really love God. Coming to church, giving money, preaching sermons. There's a lot of preachers I know that preach 92 times every single week, but they're meaner than a junkyard dog because being a preacher is not indicative of loving God. How do you know if somebody loves God? If you obey what the Lord tells you to do. Brothers and sisters, obeying God is the easiest thing to do after it is the hardest thing to do. Because the thing about obedience is you're going to have to defy three things. I want you to write down these three things. When God tells you to do something, the first thing you're going to have to push through is logic. Logic is the very first thing in order to obey God you're going to have to push through. These children of Israel have been marching around for 40 years in the wilderness. They have lived under the cloud of God's protection. They've been eating bread. They have lived in tents for 40 years. God says, I want you to go into the land. I believe they probably said, thank God we're finally going to have a little rest. He says, now when you get into the land get your swords ready because it's battle time down at the okay corral but instead of them saying well Lord we've been doing so much here lately we've been doing Lord that's not probably the best idea they said Lord we've been marching for 40 years but if you want us to go in and whip the Philistines and take care of the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and all the other ites that are in the land sharpen my sword cook my chicken and get on the road because that's what you tell me to do even when it does not make sense I want to give you a word following God God will rarely make sense to your human mind. You say, how do you know that? Naaman is covered in leprosy in the book of Kings, and he says, I want to be healed. God says, in order to be healed, you don't need to go to the doctors. You don't need to go to the physicians. Go down to the muddy waters of the river Jordan and dip down seven times, not eight times, not six times. You say, why did God tell him to do that? I don't have any idea, and neither do you. But you don't question God even when it does not make sense. Peter wants to get out to where Jesus is in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And what in the world does God tell him to do in order to get from the boat to where Jesus is? He said, I want you to walk on the water. Now, Lord, that don't make a whole lot of sense for a solid mass to get on a liquid mass and get to where you are because the will of God will never make sense. You got 20,000 people on a hillside on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee and the disciples say, Lord, it's time to send them home. They ain't got no bread. They ain't got no meat. Ain't, ain't a word. But if your English teachers are going to start critiquing me, we're going to be here a real long time. He said, we ain't got no bread. We ain't got no meat. He said, just tell me what you do have. He said, there's a little boy over there that's got five hush puppies and two sardines. He said, bring it to me. The Bible said he took those loaves of bread. He blessed that bread, broke that bread, and five loaves and two fishes. Although it didn't make sense in the mind of God, it made sense because God said he fed every person on that hillside and then he had far more left over at the end of that thing than he did at the beginning of that thing. Those disciples stepped back and they said, how in the world did that happen? They said, I don't have any idea because the, the will of 
God will never make sense to the mind of man. There are people in this room right now, and the Lord has asked you to do something. He's put a burden in your heart, and you know that you can't make it happen, and you've asked a thousand people just hoping one person will tell you to do it, and everybody said, well, I don't think that's probably a good idea. Good ideas and God ideas will never go hand in hand. Stop looking for good ideas and start following God ideas and somehow and some way it'll make it work. You say, give me another thing that doesn't make sense, but it just works. Take the son of the living God out of the third heaven, march him down into the womb of a virgin. How did a virgin have a baby? I don't know. It doesn't make sense to the human mind. Put the flesh upon God and let the son of God, man in God and God in man. You say, I don't understand that. Neither do I because it it makes no logical sense. Have that man march up a hillside on bloody Golgotha. Let him be nailed to a cross, impaled in three places, and let him bow his head and say, it is finished. And watch the darling son of God yield up the ghost. You say they put him in a grave. Where is he today? He ain't in that grave. That doesn't make any sense. The will of God doesn't ever make sense to the mind of man because on that first resurrection Sunday morning, the Holy Ghost gave him a Romans 8 wake-up call and a sweet spirit of the living God. He marched into the side of that grave, broke the door open. Honey, they walked out, and he did not walk out with just himself. Honey, he had keys on his side, the keys to death, hell, and the grave, but he didn't just come out. Honey, he led captivity captive. They went back to the very throne room of God, and there they stand waiting on you and I. That doesn't make it. The will of God will never make sense to the mind of man. So if you're waiting on somebody to tell you it's a good idea to do what God's calling you to do, I'm telling you it's a good idea to tell you what God's calling you to do, but you're going to have to defy logic. Number two, you will have to defy your desires. Can I help you with something? If you think God's going to give you something that's easy, you don't know God. Now, Lord... We've been marching for 40 years. We got no military experience. Anybody that fought the Amalekites back in Exodus 17, they're all dead. And you want us to march over and do what? March around walls seven times? Lord, they're going to laugh at me. God normally has a habit of calling you to do something that will crucify this old rotten flesh. People are going to laugh at you. They're going to say it doesn't make any sense. You say, but if I come down to that altar and ask Jesus to save me in just a little bit, they're going to laugh at me. My buddies are going to laugh at me. Number one, if you've got somebody that's going to laugh at you for giving your heart to Jesus Christ, they're probably not somebody you need to be walking through life with. Number two, I'd rather be laughed at on my way to heaven than cheered on my way to hell. And today you're going to have to get over your own human desire in following the will of God. Tyler, Erica, leave everything you've known and move to Tennessee. How about no? Number one, it's colder than any place I've ever been in all my life. I've been up here eight weeks and it's already sub-zero temperatures. Number two, Y'all got the worst allergies of any place in God's green earth. 
I have sucked down Zyrtec, Allegra. I even think I went and got me some rock and rye. I have no idea, but I have taken everything you can possibly take. Listen to me. With the will of God, you need to remember this. The will of God always has short-term pain in order to bring long-term gain. But our wills often have a way of bringing short-term gain, but long-term pain. The third thing you're going to have to get past if you're going to obey God is you're going to have to get over delay. You've been marching for 40 years. What will one more day hurt? When God tells you to do something, the only word you need to have in your repertoire is now. Delay is disobedience in the mind of God. How do we know? The Bible tells us in the book of Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 2. He says, today is the accepted day. If the Holy Ghost is dealing with your heart, I don't care if you're in the back. I don't care if you're in the balcony. If he's telling you to give your all to Jesus Christ today, don't worry about mama. Don't worry about papa. Don't worry about the person sitting beside you. Right now is the time to say, Jesus, I want you. I'm giving you everything I've got. What does it say in the book of Hebrews chapter 3 and in chapter number 4? He says, today if you hear the voice of the Lord, harden not your heart as in the provocation. But hear me now, when you go to obey God, this is what you're going to probably end up saying and having to fight. This is probably the worst time to do this. God's going to have you step out in faith to take a new job. And right before you do it, you're going to have more bills pile up against you than you've ever had in all your life. Don't y'all sit there and look at me like I'm making this up. You know I'm telling it right. God's going to call you to preach. And in order to go to Bible college, you're going to have to walk away from a job and all types of benefits. But today, now, in this moment... There are people in this room right now. You're dating somebody, and you know it's not the will of God. But the devil's got your mind so torn up, and you keep saying, well, maybe tomorrow it'll get better. Honey, he ain't getting no better. Drop him and roll on when God tells you to. Beloved, today, I felt resistance on that. I believe I'll hit that one again. If it ain't no better, it ain't getting no better. You don't need to worry about time. God is not concerned about time. God is concerned about timing. You have no idea today why God told you to. Genesis chapter number 22. Brother Abraham has got Isaac by the hand. They've got the wood. They've got the fire. But they don't have the sacrifice. And they're walking up the mountain that morning. The Bible says and Abraham rose up early in the morning. Do you know why he did? Because God had told him to get up. He did not say, Lord, I don't know what to do. Him and Isaac are walking up that mountain. And Brother Isaac looks over at Brother Abraham. And he says, Father, he said, I see the wood right here. And I see the fire right here. 
right here, but where is the sacrifice? Abraham does not question. He says, he says, son, your God and my God, he will provide the sacrifice. And what he did not realize, the thing about leaving when he did, he was walking up one side on the other side of the mountain, a place he could not see. God was bringing the sacrifice up the other side of the mountain. And the Bible says it was caught by the horns in the thicket. Now, if Abraham had been one minute, one hour longer or later, that, that, that ram would have pulled his horns out of that thicket and could have broke loose and it would have all been apart. But because he obeyed when God told him to obey, get over the excuses, get past it and obey God. But in order to do it, you're going to have to push through your timetable. Brothers and sisters, in order to do what God's calling us to do, we're going to have to obey God as a church family. There will never be a good time to follow God. There'll never be a more convenient time to follow God. God will never call a people to follow Him on their timetable. Lord, we've been marching for 40 years. How about a break? He said, as soon as you walk over, you're going to lay eyes on a 14-foot thick walled city. He said, don't stop. Don't delay. Do exactly what I've called you to do and start marching around the walls. Brothers and sisters, we need people with an obedient heart. I don't know where we got this idea in the church of Jesus Christ that God's will and our will will finally line up one day. God will never line up with you. You've got to line up with him. That's just the way it operates and in 2024 there may not be many people that say we're going to do what God has called us to do we're going to obey and be obedient to the call of God it will not be popular but it is what we're going to have to do and if you're here today and the Lord is dealing with your heart today is the day to say I'm doing what God if you've never been saved and the Lord's calling you today's the day if you backslid on God and today's the day then today's the day if God's been dealing with you child of God about whatever it is to step out today is the day obedience will bring about a Joshua heart but I wish I could tell you it was going to be easy there are three statements I want to give you there are three lines you're going to have to put in the recesses of your heart and make sure you don't forget these when you obey God number one the first thing you've got to remember when you obey God is this. Are you ready? Here it is. Some people won't go with you. When you obey God, some people won't go with you. Where do I see that? Look back, if you will, in verse number 12 of this chapter. The Bible says that Joshua looks and he says to the Reubenites and the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh. Brothers and sisters, why was Joshua talking to the Reubenites and the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh? Because just a few days before that, the Reubenites, Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh had gone to Brother Moses and said, Moses, listen, we have found 
found us a good little piece of land on this side of the river. Is there any way we can just dwell on this side of the river? We don't want to go across and have to deal with all that stuff. We just want to stay on this side of the river. And Brother Moses looked at him and he said this. He said, now look, you're telling me you don't want to go over there where the milk and the honey flows? And they said, we don't really want to get into all that stuff over there. And Joshua looks at him and he says, now listen, you're going to have to go over and fight with us. And after the battle is over, you are then you can come back. Brothers and sisters, I wish I could tell you, everybody in your life is going to be happy for you when you obey God. I wish I could tell you everybody in your life was going to be glad that you obeyed God. I wish I could tell you right now, everybody in your life was going to be glad and happy and fat and sassy when you give your heart to Jesus Christ. That is not the way it operates. There are some people that won't go with you to the place God's taken you to. Who are those people? Let's look at them right quick because they're interesting groups and over 3,000 years have passed since this little event in the Bible. And people are just about the same now as they were back then. The first group of people the Bible says that aren't going to go with us are the Reubenites. Who are the Reubenites? The word Reuben, it comes from a Hebrew word which literally means to inspect and to look at and to gaze at. Do you know the first group of people that aren't going to go with you? The group of people that are waiting and looking at where you're going to mess up. You know there are some people in this world who think their spiritual gift is to be nosy. They know everything about everything, about everybody, about everybody's things and things and situations. They know about your mama's people. They know about your daddy's people. They know about your cousin's people. They know about your aunts, your uncles, the ins, the outs, the ups, the downs. Don't you act like you don't know who I'm talking about. And every single time you go to take a step with God, they got them spiritual eyeballs on you waiting for you to mess up. And if you're not, I'm about to hoe in somebody's tater patch right now. You'll spend your time walking with God. If you're trying to impress and please those people, you'll make decisions so that they don't talk about you. You'll make decisions so they don't say anything about you. You'll operate and try to hide what God is doing in your life so that those people don't get to see the full story. Can I help you with something? If you hide this, you ain't going to hide that. So don't worry about those kind of people step out on the other side of God's river pick up your sword and your shield and say God called me to do this I'm not worried about those Reubenites in my life I'm not worried about those people finding faults in my life I'm not worried about those people that are gazing at me and inspecting me why because if you're going to have a Joshua heart don't worry about the eyeballs this way worry about God's eyeballs upon your life don't worry about those people. You ain't going to win them. You can't catch them. You can't keep them. They ain't staying with you. They got to go. Bye, Felicia. Get out of my life. I'm not worried about you. You gone, and I'm heading over. The second group of people are those Gadites. The word Gadite, it comes from a word in the Hebrew which means to fight and oppose. The second group of people that you're never going to take with you to where God's going and take you are the people that are constantly fighting you. 
You know, there are some, I don't understand this. I want everybody to be blessed. I want everybody to be blessed. I want everybody to be happy. I want everybody to have the best that God. I'm not a jealous person. If there's a church in town bigger than this, if there's a church in town God's moving at, I'm not looking to fight them. I'm not looking to oppose them. I want to clap them on and cheer them on and say go for the glory of God. But you know, there are some people, they think it is their job to fight and fuss about everything. Y'all going to get mighty uncomfortable or you're going to start saying hallelujah. I didn't come to a funeral home this morning. I came to the house of God. There are some people who want what they want. And if it ain't what they want, they don't want it. If you're not careful, you'll operate in the plan of God. Trying to please people that can never be pleased. If somebody's fussing against you and they've pretty much been fussing their whole life, you can mark her down. They ain't going with you. They're Gadites. Brothers and sisters, I've dealt with people like this my entire spiritual walk. You've dealt with people like this in your life. They're going to fight against you. They're going to moan against you. They got, some of y'all look so nervous right now. Brothers and sisters, you know I'm telling it right. They hate everything. They had everything you're doing. They had everything you're saying. They had everything you're you acting like. They hate everything about your mama. They hate everything about your granny. They hate everything about their mama. They hate everything about their granny. And they're just constantly fighting you. Throw them a peace sign in Jesus' name and walk in the will of God. Stop trying to take everybody with you where God's taking you. Brothers and sisters, you got to be careful, though. It's not our job to hurt people. We don't want to hurt anybody. But it ain't my job to please people either, and it ain't your job. There's going to be people at your job and your work. They're not going to like how you operate in your walk with God. Stop trying to please them. Bow your head over your lunch and your breakfast and your dinner. It doesn't matter if it makes everybody in hell, in heaven, and in earth mad. Follow God because a Joshua heart obeys. There's a third group of people you will not take with you. The Bible says that there's half the tribe of Manasseh. The word Manasseh comes from a Hebrew word which means to forget. Now watch this. You ready? It says only half. The tribe of Manasseh. The other half said, I ain't staying on this side. I'm heading over. So who is that third group you ain't going to take with you? You ready? It's that group of people that only remembers half of the story. They only remember half of what God's doing in your life. Let me see if I can put this down in shoe leather. How many people in this house will not lie to me and say, man, before I got saved, I was wicked as a devil? Okay, I've ridden around Lebanon long enough to realize there ought to be more hands up than that. <laughs> but how many of those of you that raised your hand remember the good glad day when the Holy Ghost arrested your heart, washed you cleaner, whiter than snow, wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life, and you are a new creature? Isn't it amazing? You've been saved 10, 15, 20 years, and there's still a group of people that only remembers the bad part of your life. 
those are the Manassites. They'll remember half the story. There's a group of people, they only remember half of when you were following God. All the times you slipped and stumbled and messed up and had those oops moments, had those moments where you didn't pray like you should have, and they're constantly bringing that up about you. Brothers and sisters, if you're not careful, what you'll do is you'll worry about pleasing those people and trying to impress those people and letting those people know, I'm not a failure. I'm not somebody that flubbed the dub. I'm not that kind of person. Yes, I did have a pass back there, but that's not who I... Listen, you can't impress those kind of people. You can't make those people happy. Don't try to. Just walk in what God is doing in your life today. Walk in what God is doing in your heart right now. Do not worry about your yesterday. Remember this. The group of people that only remembers what's supposed to be under the blood and not looking at what the blood looks like on your life. They don't need to be in your life. They're not a good influence in your life. They got to go give them the sayonara and say, I'm a walking in a new step. I'm a walking in a new path. I'm walking in new life. Don't try to bring that group with you. When you obey God, you'll never do it. Here's the second line you need to remember. Some people won't go with you, but number two, you labor for those who can't labor. You labor for those who can't labor. Where do I get that? Watch what it says in verse number 14. He says, your wives and your little ones and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave on this side of Jordan. But ye shall pass before your brethren armed all the mighty men of valor and help them. He said, boys, it's time to go and battle. But not everybody can go and battle with you. He said, there's a certain group of people that are too young and immature. So you've got to go fight for those who can't fight. Brothers and sisters, have you ever walked and stepped out with God and you feel like you're the only person carrying the weight? Mama, you decide that you're going to do whatever you can do to keep that family in the love of God and in the power of Jesus, but you feel like you're the only one pulling your weight, and something inside of you says, quit. Stop. You're not making a difference. Can I help you with something? You're laboring because they can't labor. Do you know why you're waking up early and praying hell off of your family? Because that little boy and that little girl, they don't know how to get a hold of God. I try to get up every day. Man, I'm so tired sometimes in the morning, Troy, and I think I'm just going to sleep just a little bit longer. And something inside of me says, you've got to do the battling. Why? Because i got a little 13-year-old son that's got to go to school. He doesn't know how to grab hold of the horns of the altar. i got a little 10-year-old girl that's got a future in front of her. She doesn't know how to get a hold of God. So you know what I do? I bear the burden so they can have the blessing. Honey, I have watched this staff over the last 
last two weeks. I've just kind of been around and watched them. I've seen them labor throughout the week. I've seen them work throughout the week. And here's what I have found about them throughout the week when you have no idea what's going on around here. You come into the house of God and things are in order and people are excited. Those little Sunday school teachers that week in and week out. You don't see them laboring in that Bible. You don't see them praying in that prayer closet. But honey, they stand up for 30 minutes and they give you something that speaks to your heart. What you don't realize is they've walked through hell backwards that week and they've been working that week. I tell teachers in this room, I tell staff members in this room, I tell deacons in this room, we're doing what we do so that everybody else can have the joy of the Lord. We fight on our knees because there's some people that don't know how to fight. I tell you, mama, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give in on God. As a group of people, they don't know how to pray. They don't know how to serve. They don't know how to work. Oh, but I will not stop. I will not throw in the towel. As a God that's counting on me for my family. Have you ever thought that maybe the reason God's, the devil's fighting you so hard is you're the only one standing between hell and the rest of them? I'm going to tell you what I have found in this world. In my walk with God in this life and in churches all over this country where God's let me preach, I have found the ones battling the most are the closest to breakthrough. They're nigh at the door, and they're about to throw in. I'm going to help you with something. There are businessmen and women in this room, and you sacrifice financially in this church. And the devil tells you, do you know what you could be doing with that money? Do you know why God just keeps on telling you to do that? Because there's a group of teenagers and children whose mama can't even make two ends meet can't go to camp, can't afford to buy anything. But every week when you give and every week when you tithe and you support them, there's going to be a group of kids that go down somewhere this summer and they're going to get along with God in a camp somewhere, in a conference somewhere, and the Holy Ghost is going to breathe life in their soul, and they're going to get to bear the blessing because you're the one that's been bearing the burden. Brothers and sisters, right now, honey, I feel so much God in my soul in this moment, and it's not because I'm powerful. It's not because I'm able. It's been a group of people that have prayed through the week and been fasting through the week and said, I'm going to go without, and I'm going to lay because there's a group of people in this church with no God if it slapped them in the face. They hadn't been in church in years and years and years. But here you are under the sound of a gospel preacher. Oh, because some people said, I'm going to bear the burden so others can have the blessing. We labor for those who can't labor for themselves. Can I just, can I say something? Can I just say something? Y'all love me? Y'all don't know me that well, but y'all love me? I'm going to tell you what else I have found in my spiritual walk with Christ. The one the devil tries to get you to despise the most in the church and in your life is probably the one that's laboring for you most in the church and in your life. That person across the way that he says, look at them. Psh. They think they're something, don't they? What you don't know is that's probably the person 
that has been on their knees and God brought you to their minds. Because the devil wants us to hate what God intends to help. So we labor for those who can't labor. Can I give you a little tip that has nothing to do with the sermon, the message, or anything? You ready? When something enters your mind or your heart that makes you despise or jealous of somebody, if you'll bow on your knees at that moment and pray for them harder than you've ever prayed, you will probably see a breakthrough in their life and in your life. Because what God often does is he lets the devil loose at the very last minute. Just when Joseph thought it was all said and done, that right then, in that moment, is when up in the palace room, old Potiphar had come down to favor rose throne and was standing there and a baker had come and a butler had come and said now Pharaoh there's a man down in the jail and he knows how to interpret dreams and if you'll send down there and get him Joseph was about to throw in the towel down in the pit but what he did not know is up in the palace God was working and that's the way it operates in our lives when we're fighting in the prison God's working in the palace can I give you this third line that you're going to have to remember when you obey God. Brothers and sisters, the third line you're going to have to remember when you obey God is victory is not immediate, but it is promised. Can I show you a word in verse number 15 that jumped out at me? Watch what he says in verse 15. Until the Lord... Until. You know what that means? Let me put it to you in Tennessee redneck English. It ain't here yet, but it's on the way. When God gives you a promise, it may not come today, but wait for it. It will surely come. You've stepped out today. They said, now God, wait a second. You're telling us you're going to give us the entire land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and everybody else? He said, yeah. He said, how long is that going to take? He said, you're going to be fighting for that for the rest of your life and the generation to come. He said, but I promise you victory will not be just like that, but it will come eventually. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, we are just a about on the precipice and on the cusp of one of the greatest revivals that our nation has ever seen because it's always in the darkest night that God sends the brightest lights. That's why you fight so much. Victory is not immediate, but it is promised. Many of you know we've got a television ministry. We've had it for about seven years now, and it's in the southeast, North Carolina, the hills of Tennessee, and and I, used, I, I still do, I pray over where God is going to take it next. And by God's grace, beloved, I'm supposed to know by next Thursday, I think, I hope, I'm praying, they have offered me the slot on Fox Nashville at 9.30 on Sunday before the NFL. And I don't know, we're going to pray. But I try to pray, Ray, over where these things go. About three years ago, I was praying one day over the television ministry and God meeting the need and so on and so forth. And I said, now, Lord, if there's somewhere you want us to put the, the television ministry, sh- just put it in my heart. And so help me, I started thinking about West Virginia. Wild, wonderful, 
West Virginia. If it's so wild and wonderful, why is everybody leaving? There's people in this room right now. There's going to be somebody after this service come up to me and say, I'm from West Virginia, and I'm going to say, when would you leave? They're going to say, 30 years ago. If it's so wild and wonderful, why have you been here 30 years? So I called him. I got a station in Princeton, West Virginia. Princeton, West Virginia. You can't get there from here. There ain't but about a thousand people in the whole city. Princeton, West Virginia. So I obeyed God. And I mean, I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, man, there's going to be a millionaire there, and I'm going to get on that TV, and they're going to see this wild country preacher, and I mean, they're going to say, Billy Graham, here he comes, baby. I got on there, beloved. I stayed on that station for six months. Do you know how many letters, emails, phone calls I got in six months? Zero. After about six months, I told Erica, I said, I ain't doing this no more. God said, nope, not yet. We're paying out every single, nope, not yet. And so help me, one day during the week, I woke up and said, cut it. I was so thankful. I called that. I thought, boy, that's the worst business venture I've ever stepped into in all of my life. A year and a half went by this past March. Erica and I are in full-time evangelism. We're going week to week, just doing our best. We're setting up. Avery's setting up these television cameras everywhere we go. And we had a piece of equipment we had to buy. It was a camera or something. And I don't remember the exact, but it was, it was six, $7,000 and I said, now, Lord, I got on my knees. I said, now, God, I need you. I need this money for this piece of equipment. And I know what you've called me to do, so please. It wasn't two weeks later. I got a check in the mail for $7,000 to buy that piece of equipment. Out of nowhere. I didn't tell anybody. And wrapped up in that check was a letter. On the outside was no return address. I opened up that letter, and it was a handwritten note from a little woman. And this is what she said. She said, Pastor Tyler, I don't know if you'll ever get this letter, but I just want you to know something. She said, a year and a half ago, whenever it was, she said, my husband was diagnosed with cancer. And due to COVID, he couldn't get out and go to church because of the chemo. And he was so upset because he loved going to church and hearing preaching. And one day, he was flipping through the stations and saw a young preacher on the Fox station, on the Princeton Fox station. She said his cancer moved fast. He only lived for six months. She said, it's been about a year now since he's died, and I've just gotten everything settled. And he had a tractor. If I'm lying, I'm dying. He had a tractor. And I sold that tractor, and he told me before he died, he wanted me to send the proceeds to that preacher that ministered to him on TV. She said, I sold his tractor the other day. And it sold for $7,000. She said, I wish it was more. 
but this is everything. Honey, I turned a cartwheel in that room. You know what I realized? A year and a half before that, when it didn't make sense to everybody and victory was not in that moment, God was bringing about a victory for a need he knew I would have a year and a half later. Here's what I'm telling somebody. It may not make sense today. It may not look like it's going to put all together today. But if God tells you to do it, then you do it. Victory will come. Why is the church in the shape she's in? General Montgomery in World War II was probably the greatest British general alive at that time. The British were losing in northern Africa to Hitler's Nazis, and General Montgomery was given the task to go down and see why they were losing so bad in the northern continent of Africa. When he got down there, he realized something. He realized that when the general's orders would come, from the Allied Supreme Commander, that those orders were going down through bureaucratic channels, and every time the order would go, another tear would rip that order apart. And another tear would say, that, that's not a good idea. And by the time the order got down to the soldiers, it didn't even make sense. And the lack of obedience to the commander's orders was what was putting the troops in disarray. General Montgomery went down there and he fired every single one of those bureaucratic commanders and he said the moment that an order leaves headquarters it is to go undissected straight down to the troops and in just a few short months because the people were obeying the orders from headquarters they turned the war in northern Africa and Rommel and the Nazis were defeated and ultimately pushed out of northern Africa. The only thing that was bringing defeat was the fact that the orders were not being obeyed exactly like the commander had set out. Beloved, today people say God is not real and God does not speak and the Lord is not raising up a church. I beg to differ. The Lord is speaking and the Lord is raising up a church. But we've become too smart and we've become too logical and we're picking apart all the things that God's telling us to do. But I say no more. No more in the house of God. No more in the church of Jesus Christ. No more in the Baptist church. No more in the Southern Baptist Convention. We need a revival today. We need a revival more than we've ever needed it. It's time that God's people stand up and say, God, whatever you tell me to do, I will do. Because a Joshua heart is obedient. Let's bow our heads this morning.